I want to kind of keep working on a couple of ideas that I've been working on. I spoke a few weeks ago about is about this idea about salvation or the experience we call it. You know, whatever you you want following Jesus uh, as a matter, not so much always of us asking Jesus into our life, but Jesus inviting us into His life. Okay. Now, I, want, I just want that idea in your head, uh, and and we'll try to spend a little more time with that. And I think part of that is that sometimes uh, it's not inaccurate or incorrect to say that the Bible does talk about Jesus living in us. But a preponderance of evidence, as I've said a few weeks ago, that 164 times in the New Testament, the idea of we're in Christ, that's the predominant theme. That it's not just Christ in us, but we're in him. And so I think sometimes this is just a matter of kind of correcting or I'm going to call it this. I'm I'm going to call it this, our subject today if you want to, call recalibrating. Now, you know what? When you recalibrate something, uh, you generally, it's a, a tool or something that weighs or measures things. It weighs or measures things correctly. And uh, sometimes because of uh, abuse or sometimes because it, something got dropped, it has to be recalibrated. Uh, I know a couple of times, you know, uh, I'm old enough, you remember, I, there's, a, there's a, a, a scale in our bathroom that we try to stay away from. And uh, every once in a while, I just say, that thing's lying. I know it's lying. Got to find a way to get it calibrated. When Becky and I were in seminary one day, we decided, uh, I decided I would cut class one day. I did. I was going to cut Dr. Wong's class. And uh, Dr. Wong, I, I loved him because his favorite word was "daffle," and uh, just barked it. And I had a hard time understanding him in class because he still spoke Chinese at home all the time. But he's a brilliant scholar. And, but I had the bright idea that I would have him recorded and then I could cut class. And if you can't understand him in person, you ought to hear him on a recording. <laughs> Just worthless. I could not understand him. He's a wonderful guy. Again, he had such compassion for the Chinese students. who had, He wouldn't speak English around much. He spoke Chinese all the time to try to help them. So anyway, we, we decided to cut class, and Becky took a day off, and we decided, and really the whole impetus, I, I hate to admit this, is that we were dying we thought, for Mexican food. (laughs) I had been raised in Texas. We had lived in Kentucky for a while. And the only thing in Lexington, Kentucky at the time was Taco Tico, (laughs) which is not, I never have asked. You know, I I noticed what they never, ever posted nutritional information. Taco, that's it. And I finally said to Becky one day, I said, look, I, you know when you get hungry for Mexican food? Beth. You know when you get hungry for Mexican food? Nothing else satisfies you. So we decided we're going to, we're going. Again, we drove 240 miles to Nashville, Tennessee. I'm talking one way. Never occurred to me to go to Cincinnati because we lived in Lexington. And so we're, we decided to go. And we're driving along. And I remember vividly, this was 1985, we're driving along, and I'm doing about 60, because the speed limit's 55 in Kentucky at that time. And I even commented to Becky, I said, man, these people in Kentucky drive slow. And I, because I mean, I was zipping around everybody, and I thought, well, you know, I know it's 55, I'm doing about 59, you know, because I figured, I've always heard, Hope there are no police officers in here today uh, that they'll give you five. 
Anyway, so we're driving along and we're, t- man, we're just, I-, I told Becky, I said, I don't care what's on the menu. By anyway, we're driving along and lo and behold, a state trooper pulls me over. And upon being, uh, you know, pulled over, I said, so officer, what's the problem? Y'all have seen that commercial, haven't you? <laughs> and he said, I was driving 70 in a 55. And I said, that's not possible. My speedometers, now I'm having to out myself. My speedometer said 60. <laughs> I said it's 55. Anyway, we discover after we, we and it kind of ruined the Mexican food for the day, but we still went. Uh, I found out that when I got back, my dad, I'd, bar, I'd actually borrowed his car because I had mine in the shop. My dad had put a larger tire on the car <laughs> and didn't tell me. And all of a sudden now, what that speedometer that was calibrated, if you will, for a certain size tire has now got a bigger tire on it and it's going slower in revolutions. So I made a contribution to the state of Kentucky. Yeah. Yeah. You know, when I think of that recalibration, the speedometer wasn't broken. It wasn't broken. And the tires weren't, you know, off the car, it's they they needed to be calibrated. They they, they needed there need to be a recalibration on that. And so I'm asking and wondering if in our understanding of the next few weeks of what it means to be in Jesus needs to be calibrated. Maybe maybe it's not that it's broken. It's not that it's wrong. It's not that being Christ in us is wrong or us in Christ. It's just that there needs to be some calibration here, some, some, some adjustments to that. So I want to talk to you today just quickly. You know what that means, don't you, when I say that quickly? <laughs> uh, this idea, first of all, is some general calibration of the Jesus life. Some general calibration. Now, I'm going to deal with some scriptures here. Just I'm going to briefly, we won't, we won't spend a lot of time on it, but I just want to kind of lay some, some, some groundwork here about what this idea of uh, the, the Christian life or being in Jesus. You'll remember, if you'll go to your table of contents uh, in your Bible and go to the Gospel of John. I, don't break out in a sweat. We're not going back to the Gospel of John. That's <laughs> so we go, oh no. Uh, the Gospel of John, 1008. Uh, there is this remarkable passage that we read and you've read, but I just, I just want to make note of it, um, that it says here, in the beginning was the Word, John 1, 1, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning <clears throat> with God. All things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In him was life in him. Where is life located? In Jesus, in him. Now, again, in the New Testament, there are a couple of terms that are used for life, this Jesus life. There's the Greek word bios, where we get the word biology. These are just some general considerations. Now we need to go biology. It's physical life. Like, you know, you're, you're living and breathing and respirating and all like that, you know, mostly, <laughs> One time I heard about a church, this preacher was so boring, a guy had a heart attack and died in the choir. And they had to interview seven people before they found him. <laughs> yeah. People, that's bad. It's bad. It's all I got. Uh, Bios life, or bi- biological, that, that's the idea we have life. Biological. But 
and I'm going in a lot of directions, but, but, but the Bible indicates, if you will, that human beings lack what we call the life of God. It's called zoe. It's zoe life. It's a different word. Think about it this way. We, we, we've discussed this at some length, but think about this. I think this is very fundamental in recalibrating what happened to human beings in the garden. Did they become axe murderers? And what, what, what happened? They, what? Died. God says, when you do this, what's going to happen to you? You're going to become a sinner? Did he say what you're going to become is an immoral person? Did he say, when you do this, what's going to happen is you're going to become immoral? No, you're going to die. Now, they didn't drop dead right then, did they? What happened? They got separated from the life of God right then. Okay? And I, I've said this before, I'm going to say it again. I think in many ways that we have moralized salvation to just be good behavior when the real issue is life. What happened in the garden? I mean, let's go back to the original. Let's get this recalibrated here for a second. What happened in the garden is when human beings decided they would do their own thing, they decided, hey, we'll find life where we want to. Right? So if we got the, if we got the problem wrong, if we, again, if we, I've said this so many times, I'm sure you're bored with it, but if we think the problem is that Jesus came to make bad people good, then we just are in a moralistic mentality of modifying our behavior. But, but Jesus really came to settle or to deal with the issue that happened in the garden, which was we were separated from the life of God. That's why Jesus said, I've come that you might have life. You don't have it, right? So, so, so the notion here of recalibrating is the understanding of coming into the, in him is life. We're not talking about physical life. We've all got that. We know that. We're talking about something else. We're talking about something where life is understood as a union, an experience with the living God. You know, that's why the Bible, that's why the Bible calls hell in Revelation. Remember what it calls it? The second death. See, this death life thing is a big deal. Hell is called the second death. Death. Why? Because apparently from Scripture, it's the eternal separation from the life of God. The first death is being separated from God now. Separated from his life. The second death is to eternally be separated from his life forever. So what's the issue? Sin, morality, living good, acting right, paying your taxes, all those are good things. No, life. Life is the issue that the New Testament and the Bible is attempting to deal with. Not just make you a moral citizen, but to give you life and give me life. And so the, the, the issue here has got to get recalibrated in, in the sense that in, in Jesus, there's life. I've said this to you before. I'll say it again. Remember, if this is true, I think it is, what is sin? Sin is not the breaking of a moral rule. That's the consequence. Sin is seeking life somewhere else other than God. That's what sin is. It's the false self saying, I can construct my own reality. It's the false self that says, I can construct, construct my own world. 
It's for the false self that says, I can control things in such a way that I don't have to depend on God. I told you before, you know, as a pastor, we would go visit people in the hospital and stuff like that. And we'd often hear, well, you know, now all we can do is pray. And we go, oh no, has it come to that? <laughs> you know, we've constructed our reality. I'm not saying go to, I'm not saying don't go to the doctor. I went to one this week. I just told him he could not give me a shot for religious reasons. I did. I said, I'm a devout chicken. <laughs> I, have, I have religious scruples about shots. You know, you know, we construct everything we can in such a way that we don't have to depend on Jesus for life. That, that's what's so shocking. I put in my notes earlier, I said, reality is the thing you and I keep running into all the time. When our constructed world starts falling apart. We're trying to construct it in such a way we, we can find life in our job, in our finances, in our health, in our relationships. That's all, we're trying to do all of that. We're, that's where we're trying to find life. But in there, there's nothing wrong with friends and relationships and houses and cars. Nothing wrong with that. But reality is what we keep running into. That's why I said to my students lots of times, I say, you know, uh, the Christian life's not difficult. It's impossible. This is not a list of morals. This is the infusion of life. That I am invited into the life of Jesus. I'm invited into his life. It's his life that saves. Not my actions or decisions. It's his life that brings salvation. Here's another one, this, this idea in Jesus's life. Okay. In Romans, I'm, I'm just going to quote it. You know it. I'm, I'm like, or you can just write it down. You really like, in Romans 8, 1, it says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are where? In Christ Jesus. Where are you? In. I'm going to explain that, I hope, here in a bit. Another very famous passage about this idea, about this kind of general recalibration, that the issue is life. The issue is that, that Jesus invites us into his life by, by the use of this. And it says, take this thing. It's, it, I think that's that. It, it says this in 2 Corinthians 5.17. 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, he is new you remember how this reads? Yeah. A lot of translations have it creature, which I'm just going to say, now this sounds arrogant, but I would suggest a large group of scholarship would say that's really not the correct word. It's close. You know, kind of like Mark Twain said, close, the difference between lightning and a lightning bug. <laughs> a little difference, but they're close. <laughs> The Greek word katesis is uniformly translated creation. So if anyone is in Christ, he or she is, think about it, is what? New creation. If anyone is in Christ, he's not a new creature. He is in the new creation. So what does that mean, Cliff? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> I would just suggest that the life 
Life in Jesus is what the New Testament refers to more, I would suggest, than just Christ being in me. That's there. I mean, obviously, we're recalibrating here, right? I did, when, when I had trouble with that, with that car, I didn't go get a hammer and smash the uh, speedometer. You know? I didn't say, oh, this is terrible. I, I just, we just got it recalibrated. What I'm trying to suggest is that this recalibration needs to be in the area of that, 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 that we've been invited into the life of Jesus. And that we're now part of a new creation. You see, the tendency is, I think, for us to sort of reduce the Christian life to just some event. People say, have you been saved? Yeah, on such and such a date I prayed the prayer. Oh, okay. But is salvation an event? Or, uh, you know, uh, people say, you know, are, are you, are, if you were to die tonight, do you know you'd go to heaven? I said to Marty years ago, I, he never took my advice, but <laughs> I said to him one time, why don't we ask people this? If you wake up tomorrow, have you got a big enough reason to keep living? I don't know too many people that, you know, unless you get my age, that just have this existential dread of death. But I know lots of people that are thinking, why am I here? What in the world is this all about? You know, this, this, so we've reduced it. I, I want to say, I've got a, a statement on here, and I'm, I know it's, I didn't put many notes on here today because I thought last week I had three points and spoke for 49 minutes. <laughs> the week before that I had five points, and so I, I just got two points, so this will be a lot real short. Yeah. You see, this new creation, if anyone is in Christ, he is, he is, New creation. Here, here's what I want to suggest to you as an idea you might want to think about. See, life in Jesus is salvation, but we have tendency to reduce the Christian life to a particular destination than personal transformation. What's salvation about? Going to heaven. You know, well, I'm saved. I'm going to heaven. See, the life in Jesus isn't about a particular destination as much as it is about personal transformation. I'm not suggesting, I'm not saying that there's not an issue here about heaven, but I'm going to suggest to you, if one's understanding of the Christian life is just about a particular destination, there's a whole lot missing here. It's about personal transformation. I'm part of new creation. I'm part of the new creation that, that Jesus brought about with his life and death and resurrection. Over the next several weeks, we're going to look at three things that are particular. We're not today, obviously. Can't do three in one. You know, we, but we reduce it, don't we? Salvation to acting right or going somewhere. Here's the reality. The New Testament suggests that this new reality is life in Jesus. And the old reality, the, the old reality, according to the, I was trying to think of a way to explain this because it's, a, it's really a thick theological notion. But there is, in, in, in one sense, parallel universes going on. 
You know, we, we talk about that sometimes. We talk about spiritual warfare. We talk about things like that, that there are things going on in the spiritual realm that we don't see in the physical, but we know it's going on. What's going on, right? See, there's a new creation now in Jesus Christ that, it, that is now going. It started. It started when Jesus came to the earth and died and rose again. It began, the new creation. And there's an old creation. And it's called life in Adam. Life in Adam. Now, the interesting thing about this is that there, there is this idea. Let me, let me give you a little bit of just some markers here, if you will. And I wrote in my notes, this is huge. <laughs> That's bad. I said that to Becky and she goes, don't do that. <laughs> this is huge. Believe me. And <laughs> Life in Adam is still available. It's life relying upon human power and human ability and human strength. It's life lived in human capacity that we all have the ability to do. In fact, that's what we're tempted to do, isn't it? So I told you what, sin is trying to find life somewhere else. So we're tempted to say, I'll find life on my own here, thank you very much. I'll live in Adam. I'll, I'll take a hike here with Adam and I'll say, you know what? I'm gonna live in him again for a while and that's where I'll find life. But the New Testament is gonna tell you that life is dead. You can, you can hang around with it, but it's dead. It's interesting, an imagery that Paul uses in Romans 7, uh, he talks about this body of death. I thought about doing a little Romans. He talks about this body of death that who will deliver me. And in the ancient world, if you killed somebody, they strapped the dead body to your back. And you carried it until it rotted off of you. And then because, this is not a great image before lunch, but, uh, but because it rotted off of you, it killed you. That's what Paul's saying. This, this body of death, life in Adam, is dead. Life in Jesus. It's rely upon divine power, divine strength, and divine ability. In many ways, it's life of saying, okay, I don't look to myself as the source of life. I look to another. I don't look to me as a source. I can't get this all figured out. I can't do it all. I mean, I'm going to go to work and I'm going to do it. Okay. But I know the source of life for me is not Cliff. It's Jesus. It's life in Jesus. It's being invited into his life. Let me, let me show you how that works. Uh, again, I go to the book of Romans real quick. I, I, I hesitate to do this, but I, I, we've talked about this before once, but I just want to call your attention to it again. It's interesting, um, in, in, in Romans 6, and while you're turning there, let me just tell you what this life in Jesus looks like. We're going to try to do with one today. I'm trying to set the groundwork. This life in Jesus is that we have died with him. We have been raised with him. And we are seated with him. These are Pauline, or Pauline uh, 
passages. We're, we, we've been, we died with him. We were raised with him. And we are seated with, these are all specific passages out of Romans, Colossians, and Ephesians. I told Becky the other day, I, it's been a long time since I've heard anybody comment on this. This is, this is tough sledding to say that like, Life in Jesus means we died with him. What in the world does that mean? That life in Jesus means we were raised with him. What does that mean? Or life in Jesus means we are seated with him in heavenly places. What does that mean? Well, we're going to try to understand it. So, so, so this, this, this notion. So look at Romans if you're in 7. A lot of this language is used here. Look at verse three. I'll just jump in there. Verse three of six says, or do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore, we've been buried with him, verse four, through baptism into death so that as Christ was, through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so you too might walk in newness of life. This is not referring to the resurrection of the dead at the end of time. Paul's referring to it right now, that you've been raised with him. And watch this. For if we become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection now and in the future. Verse 6, knowing that our old self was crucified. Our old self was crucified in order that your body of sin might be done away with so that you would no longer be slaves to sin. Now, if you have a study Bible, it might refer this. And again, I, I, hope, you know, I, I hope it doesn't sound arrogant, but I'm just trying to lift it. You know, translators always have problems with deciding what word to use here. Like in creation, is it creation or, is it, is it creation or creature? They just have to make a judgment call. That's why you have to buy Bibles and books. That's why you have to have, uh, go to seminary and college. So I have a job. Right? Yeah, so you can't understand this on your own. Do not try that. <laughs> not true. I'm, not, I'm kidding. Not true. Not true. Not true. But there is an interesting phrase here um, in the original language that, for me at least, is simpler to understand. The problem is that Paul is dealing in big categories there's life in Adam or life in Christ. And I know people that said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creature. And I had buddies that became Christians and they were still, you know, for, in their mind, they were still smoking two weeks later and say, I must not be a new creature. Hmm. Is that what it means? Or is it something bigger than that? That you're a new creation. You're in something bigger now than just your individual. So when it says our old self died, I think it's fairly misleading. Because in the New Testament, the Greek, the word here, and if you have a study Bible, it may, it may reference. Does anybody have that? You can talk out loud. Verse 6, does anybody have a reference? What does it say? Our old what? Old self, okay. Has anybody else got a different footnote or word? Huh? The old man. Anybody got that? Anybody got that one? Old man. The Greek word is anthropos. And it is uniformly translated man. It's singular, not plural. 
And so it is literally translated, knowing that our old man was crucified. Now, here, here's how it works, is my understanding. How's that work? Chapter 5, you've got to keep in context, right? Chapter 5 has carefully and powerfully, if you will, worked through that through one man, sin entered the world. Who is that? Adam. And through one man, the gift of righteousness comes into the world. Who's that? Jesus. Adam, look back here at five. Man, this is, this is, this is going nowhere. No, look at back at five, Romans 5, 14. I, I, I'm, I hesitate to teach on this, but I'm telling you, this is such big category stuff that it starts putting things in the right place. Notice what here, verse, chapter five, verse 15 uh, chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who's a type of him who is to come. Who's Adam? He's a what? He's a type of the one who is what? He's coming. The word type, tupas, Greek, it means an outline, it means a model. It means a representation. Who's Adam? He's a model. He's a type of who's coming. Now, what did Adam's act do? How many people did it affect? Everybody, right? You have any problems with that? You have, you have any intellectual problems? You say, well, you know, with Adam, his action sent into the world and affected everybody. So who's the new man? Jesus, he's the new man, right? He's the new one. And what he did has affected everyone. So when Paul gets to six and says the old man died, who's he referring to? You, me, my sinful nature, what? Adam. Life in Adam is dead. You can live there if you want to. If you notice this, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're a child of God, you've been born again to the Spirit. When you sin or you fail, you just feel great, don't you? What do you sense in your own soul? Sorrow. Ugh. How did I do this? Right? Anybody, anybody have that experience? You know why? You know that's death. The old man died. The new one, Jesus, <clears throat> has now come to offer life. And so this isn't your sinful nature. <clears throat> this isn't your individualized life. This is life in Adam, which is now contrasted to life in Jesus. That's why I'm suggesting that from a New Testament standpoint, that there is this incredible understanding that you've been invited and I've been invited into the life of this new Adam. That's what Paul calls him, the new Adam. The, the new one here that we have the opportunity to participate. Now, I think I, I have, you know, I have trouble with that because this sounds a little mystical. <clears throat> Does anybody do you? Is it like, how can one person do all this? I honestly believe that's what Paul's trying to work at. Maybe we doubt that, you know, because of what Jesus did, things have really changed. But let me, let me remind you of something here. Back in January um, 2017, uh, there was a football game 
Anybody besides me missing football? <laughs> There's bowling and golf. It's like, I don't know what to do anymore. It's like, I'm not watching that. There's a football game, <clears throat> Clemson, Alabama, one for the ages. And <clears throat> we watched it, and it was back and forth, winning, losing, winning, losing. And at one <clears throat> point, two minutes left in the game, you know, Alabama's up. You know, all the, the football gods are smiling now. <clears throat> and <clears throat> uh, Alabama's up. And so Deshaun Watson, with two minutes, drives them down the field. And, it, I mean, it's just epic, you know. And, and, and I'd forgotten the guy's name, but with one second left in the game, Watson throws this ball to Hunter Renfro. And they win the game. Who gets championship rings? Hmm? Huh? Wait a minute. Everybody? Even the guys that are on the practice team? Even the people in the practice squad? Even the people that got injured in the game and got pulled out and are on crutches on the sideline? Really, is that the way that works? So one play, one person makes all the difference. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, because one has died, all have died. And because he lives, we now live. When you get our brain around this, what Jesus did created an entire new creation. And what he did for his one act, now for everyone. For everyone. When he died, we died. This is hard for us because this is a theological concept in the scripture called corporate personality. See, in America, what reigns supreme? The individual. Right? I mean, the individual reigns supreme in America. Not in the rest of the world. In the rest of the world, this corporate understanding of personality. The Jews understand that Levi was in Abraham centuries before he was ever born. Because he was in Abraham's DNA. This idea of this new creation, <clears throat> that we're part of this new creation because in Jesus, he's changed everything. This took longer than I thought. Here, 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 I'm just going to tell you, this is a, this is a recalibration in one sense. I, I know this sounds crazy, but it's in one sense a recalibration of how you see reality. Do you and I see that in Jesus, there's now a new creation? That we're invited to be a part. And that it's in entering that new creation that God solves the problem that happened in the garden. Death. Not a moralist. Not just being bad people. Being dead. So that in this whole changing of matters, we've been invited into the life of Jesus. Does that make any sense to you? This is a heavy lift. I told Becky I hesitate to do it because it's so thick through the, through the epistles. But it's got to recalibrate the way we see reality.
Now, there are three things I told you we're not going to deal with them today. Trust me, don't, don't hyperventilate. <laughs> There's life in Adam that's death. There's life in Jesus where there's life. And because of that, Paul says three things we'll we'll look at over the weeks to come. That we have been buried with him, that we have been raised with him, and we have been seated with him. This is such a fascinating idea in the words Buried with him, raised with him. See, Paul creates a new word. There's nowhere else found in the Greek vocabulary. He makes up a word. Like Chris did the other day when they sang the doxicology. <clears throat> did y'all hear that? <clears throat> Here in the chapel? Chris works in toxicology. He said, so let's all rise and sing the doxicology. <laughs> I made up a word in Bible study on Friday called psychophreniacs. Where'd that, I don't know where that came from. Paul's making up words to communicate this. It's nowhere else in the Greek vocabulary. He's saying when we died with him, we were raised with him. I've told you before, it seems recently, and I hope this doesn't disturb you, when I was 25, all this stuff was so easy to understand. Anybody? It is so much bigger now. It, it, it is so much more, in some sense, mind-numbing that what I think my response is, is to fall on my knees and say, life in Jesus is what you're inviting me into. I don't know that, I, and you don't have to have a PhD and you don't have to have a seminary degree to understand this. What you have to have is understanding where is life? Would it do anything for you and me if I knew that Saying that that word that is going to hurt someone that I know I shouldn't do. The scripture says, you know, you live like that. If I just said, you know what, Cliff, the reason you don't do that is not because you're going to get in trouble or because it's a bad act. Or said, there's no life here. What if we approached it that way? See, most of us, I grew up in a church that just said, don't, 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 don't. Why? Because you'll get in trouble. Because Jesus wants a bunch of nice people. Instead of just say, wait a minute, Cliff, there's no life in that. I'm going to tell you a real quick story. We'll be done. <clears throat> we didn't get as far as I thought. This, this idea of being offered this entrance into the life of Jesus. Um, long, long time ago, you know, in the Homer... Writings of the Iliad and the Odyssey. Ulysses has a boat and they're going in the ocean. And they're going by this place where there are these called sirens. Now in Texas, I always call them sirens, so I don't you know what they're. <laughs> Sir, our people, these are, these are like angelic beings that are uh, on the island and they sing 
in such a way that the, that the sailors lose their minds. And the sirens, as beautiful as they can sing, they're, pretty, they're, they're mean. They want you to crash your boat on the rocks. That's the whole deal. And so in the Greek mythology, the great danger on all these voyages is always getting by this island where these sirens are. They beautifully sing. <clears throat> you know, they, they're, they're able to just, just capture you. So Ulysses <clears throat> and their guys are going, and so they decide, since they're going to have to go by this place, Ulysses says, tie me to the mast of the boat. Tie me up. Don't let me get off the boat, you know. T tie me up. And he says, what we'll do is because we're going to hear their sounds and, and it's going to be so wonderful, I want it so tiny. So they do. And he said, now for the rest of you guys, what I want you to do is melt wax and put it in your ears. And when we go by, you won't hear them. It didn't work out real well. <laughs> Later, a guy named Jason and the Argonauts. Isn't that a band too? Did somebody, <laughs> I was thinking there was a rock and roll band named Jason and the Argonauts. Jason and the Argonauts take the same trip, but they know how Ulysses and them have failed, and they, they, they try something different. He hires a guy named Orpheus, who in my reading of that plays a wicked guitar. No, not really. He plays a harp or something, <clears throat> but he could play guitar. No. They hire Orpheus to go with them. You remember the story? The way to deal with the siren's song is that Orpheus plays such beautiful music. Their ears are filled with the beauty and they never hear the sirens. To me, that is the glory of the Christian life. That the song is so beautiful that the offer of life is so real. That the presence of this life of being invited into Jesus drowns out every other song I'm hearing. It's not, don't do that or you're gonna get in trouble. You know, that's, Christians don't do that. No, no, there, there's a life you're being invited into. Uh, one of my professors at Asbury, uh, David Seaman, said it like this. That when we understand this life in Jesus, it will ruin you for sin. It will ruin you for sin. C.S. Lewis said it, you know. We don't struggle with sin because our affections, or our desires are too strong. He says, we struggle with sin because our affections are too weak. They're easily taken over. It's not because they're so strong and temptation. I'm not saying temptation in there. But it's too weak. I want to suggest to you the reason it may be weak. I'm not saying I have the answer. I'm just saying as I read the scripture, we got to come back to this. 
We got to come back to life. Either we believe there is life in Jesus. Either we believe there's a life he's offered to us to let us in it. And we quit saying about I've asked him into my puny little life, even though that's true to some extent, that I've been invited into something so great, so marvelous, so wonderful, so life-giving. I can't even, now this is an overstatement. This is preacher talk for a second, okay? <laughs> Hold on, wait. That I can't hear those other voices. Please, I'm, I'm overstating it a bit, but you get what I'm saying. Your answer isn't more grit and more determination and more discipline. It's hearing Orpheus. It's hearing the melody of Jesus to say, you can come into my life to the new creation. Why don't you this week um, just as an application, <clears throat> listen to a song that you love. Listen to a song that you love, you know, what, whatever it is. And as you listen to it, think about this, this idea. I'm just saying this idea here. That because of hearing this song, you're not really interested in hearing some other song. This is your favorite song. I've got one like that. I, it just transports me into another kind of reality because I love it so much. It's life and you're invited. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, if you could help us to understand that this is bigger than some moral program or some um, religious rigmarole but that you would let us know that this is the biggest thing that human beings know about. It's life. And that as you invite us, we would know that we can come in. We'll, we'll talk, Lord Jesus, I know more about maybe some of the details of that. But help us to recalibrate our thinking to see you as life and the offer to live in your life. We pray it in Jesus' strong name. Amen.